Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll begin reading in verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 12. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says, it says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And these are the verses that I want us to focus on. All of these are important, but, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to the church today. Father, I pray that you would be glorified, Lord God, in these next few moments as I share your word with my brothers and my sisters. And I pray that our lives would be changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So if you're in here today and you do not have an outline, raise your hand and we'll get you an outline. want to make sure you have an outline. If you don't have one, very important that you have one because you can take notes, number one, which I think note-taking is very important. Don't be ashamed. Just lift that hand up. Hold it up so they can get to you. Note-taking is very important. That's the reason why. Um, also, another reason that is important is if you are part of a connect group, and if you are not part of a connect group, I encourage you to become part of one. Connect is our small groups. And um, Ben, can you lower me a little bit? I feel like I'm feeding back here. Um, and so our small groups um, get together once a week, and we discuss the sermon. We talk about the message, and then we're able to, you know, hold each other accountable, pray for one another, see what we were challenged. And so it's really important that you participate in that. And if you're not part of one, we highly, highly encourage you to become part of one. And so now that we all have our outlines, we are continuing in a series that I have entitled, Are You CrossFit? And so there's a picture that I want you to see. I told you all that David shared this picture with me. And so I wanted to show you the picture that I have there. Is that picture ready? Is it ready? Yes, it's there. There it is. So here we go. So the first rule of CrossFit, always talk about CrossFit. The second rule of CrossFit, always talk about CrossFit. And so he, say, he sent me that on my, on my page. You can, you can put that, move that out of the way. That's a messed up joke. But um, 
Anyway, the reason why I wanted to share that is because, as I told you, when I, when I was beginning to, to do this series, I really started to think about the correlation between the CrossFit exercise that we participate in that is about functional movement outside and being a functional person in the real world and not just getting all, you know, big and buff just to look good, but for you to be able to actually do things. And so as a church, it is the same thing. And the reason why I believe, and this is just me, and, and maybe I'm defending my CrossFit buddies here, but I think maybe the reason why sometimes, you know, folks that do CrossFit talk about it is because it's doing something for them. Hello. I'm just saying. Like, whenever you do anything that you're excited about that is working, that's doing something, you're going to talk about that. Wouldn't it be the same thing for Jesus? I'm just saying, if Jesus is, is doing something in your life, that would be something that we would communicate or that we would talk about. And so my hope is that as we go through this series and we look at this principle of you and I being CrossFit, is that we would really get and really be able to grasp this mindset that we should have. And so continuing on um, in, 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 our, in our series, Are You CrossFit? And this is in your outline there. The series we dealt with last week, the F. And so what I'm using is F-I-T as an acronym and what I'm, and what I'm doing is I'm going to spell some things out. So last week that F stood for freedom, foundation, and formation. And so the cross as the centerpiece of the gospel. And so if you haven't figured this out, I hope you get this already. When we're talking about being CrossFit, we're really talking about being gospel-centered. That's really what this is about. This is really about us being a people that are really centered in on and being changed and transformed by the gospel. And so our lives should be experiencing freedom as a result of what Jesus did on the cross. Our life should have its foundation because of what Jesus did on the cross. And our life should have its formation because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so we should see all of those things. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this I and we're actually going to do the I in two weeks and you'll see why. But the I is going to deal with this thing. Am I cross invested? Am I cross invested? And so the first thing we realize is that there's some things that should happen to us immediately the moment that we come to Jesus we should be set free. As we progressively walk with him we should be experiencing a more solid and sure foundation in him. And as we grow more in his word and we hear more of his truth then what should be happening is our hearts and our lives should be being formed by the truth of the gospel. And so as a result of those things of me being being free and me being founded and me being formed, I should also begin to invest within the gospel. Amen? I should begin to do some things that demonstrate more than just me receiving. And so it is imperative that we recognize the enormous investment God made in us by sending his son in the form of a man and Jesus humbling himself to the death on the cross. His selfless investment, it calls us for our responsive, wholehearted investment in his kingdom work. Let me say that again. His selfless investment in us calls for our responsive, wholehearted investment in his kingdom work. Jesus made the greatest investment ever by coming to this earth, dying in our place. God made an amazing investment in us. I don't know if you think about this for a moment, but God seated in glory, Jesus, before he became man in the flesh, seated in glory, surrounded by angels who are crying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, ascribing honor, ascribing praise, ascribing dominion. He was in an amazing place, and he decides that he is going to take off all of that glory, and he is going to put on flesh, and he is going to come into this earth 
earth. And he is not only going to walk among us, but he is going to die for us. That is a huge investment. And when we talk about us making investments, I want you to realize something, that God is an investor. Say, God is an investor. And, 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 and any good investor, you know what that good investor wants? He wants a return on his investment. I'm just saying. So God doesn't. See, here's, here's what we have to realize. The reason why we started with the scripture in the book of 1 Corinthians in this verse 19 and verse 20. And just so I can give you some context here. In the context, Paul is dealing with some misunderstandings that the Corinthian church has. And in, and in those understandings, he's letting them know that freedom. In the, ver, in the first verse we looked at, look at verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so what Paul is communicating to them is, listen, you've been set free from the law. That doesn't mean you can just live how you want to live. You've been set free, just like we talked about in the book of Galatians. You've been set free by the power of the cross, but that does not mean that you become a lawless person. It doesn't mean that you just live how you want to live. It doesn't mean that you take for granted the grace of God and just do what you want to do. No, the scriptures show us that all, th- I can, in other words, what Paul is, he's simply repeating something that has been communicated in the Corinth community, and is that, man, I can do anything. All things are lawful for me. And he's like, okay, you're right, but you should not be brought under the bondage of anything. God makes this investment in us, in his son, coming to this earth. And what he wants to do is he wants to see the fruit, the fruit of his labor in us. He wants to see the fruit of his gospel, of his power manifesting within our hearts and manifesting within our lives. The price paid, and this is in your outline as well, the price paid for our salvation is the one that we can never repay, nor does the Lord ask us to repay him. Isn't that awesome? The price that he pays for us, he doesn't tell us that we have to repay him for what he did for us, nor should we be striving to repay him as though that were possible. See, here's the thing. We have a God who paid an amazing price. What what, what the Bible here says clearly is he says that we are not our own. That's what it says here in verse 19. It says that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and he's asking us a question. Do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you and that you do not belong to yourself? See, the first thing that we have to get out of our mind is that we own anything. Amen, somebody. You don't, listen, you don't own the breath. I mean, obviously, you didn't create the breath that you're inhaling and exhaling right now, did you? I'm just saying. So you don't own it. See, some of us, you see, we take real ownership. Like, we own things. Like, oh, no, that's mine. No, and I told you all last week. Remember, we were talking about kids, right? Children, like, one of the first words they learn, you know, they learn mommy, daddy. They learn more and mine. Right? Like, like those are like the big words they learn. Like they want more food. They want more, especially my son. He's going to learn that word quick. Amen. Right now he just does this. He just starts hitting his hand on, the, on his little, you know, seat there. And so ultimately they learn these words. But one of the big words that is hard to break children of, and I told you all last week, and some adults, amen, somebody, is that word, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And what God wants us to do is to really get the right mindset that there is nothing that is yours, that he owns everything. Let me give you another, an, another scripture that you can look at, and then we're going to look at one together that really blessed my life. But um, Psalms chapter 24 and verse 1, it tells us there that the earth is the Lord's. Amen? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in the earth belongs to the Lord. And Paul is simply communicating to the Corinthians and letting them know you do not own anything. But he doesn't just say you don't own anything. He doesn't just say you do not own yourself. What he goes on to say is the reason why you and I do not own ourselves is because our Savior paid a great price for us. 
because he paid a price. And so since he is the one that purchased us, he purchased our salvation, we become his. And therefore, if he makes an investment in us, then we should be making investments in him. Amen? And so in, in your outline it says this. It says we must understand that we, are on, that we are only stewards, not owners. And what is a steward? A steward is someone who oversees. A steward is someone who is a manager, right? And so we need to get this in our mindset and get this in our hearts if we are going to be the wise investors that God calls us to be. It is that we don't own anything. That we are simply stewards over it. I'll tell you something. If, if, if you were a steward over something, and not just a steward or a manager over it, but if you were a steward and a manager and you were going to get paid based on what you did with what you were overseeing, you would act right, wouldn't you? I always tell people, you know, if I gave you $100 a week and I said, listen, I'm going to give you $100 a week. And I'm going to give this to you for a year. And at the end of the year, I'm going to come back and I want you to give me all the receipts of everything you did with that $100. And based on what you did with that $100, I will either increase what I'm giving you or I will decrease. How many of y'all would act right? I'm just saying. Like, that's what you have to live on, that $100, right? You are going to be, look, every penny is going to be counted. You're not going to frivolously buy something. There will be no emotional purchases. I mean, 100 bucks only 100 bucks, but nonetheless, right? If, if I said that to you, you would act right. And see, what we have to realize is that each of us is going to give an account for our life and all of the things that we do with everything that God entrusts us with. Every one of us is going to stand before him. When you look into the Gospels, Jesus makes some really clear pictures. He, you know, gives um, stories like the parable of the talents. He gives stories like the parable of the minas. I mean, he gives, he gives all of these parables, and he's like, you know, the, this, 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 this owner, you know, he gives certain things to some guys. And there's, I'm, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing all of this for you. But he gives stuff to people to see what they do with it. And then there's a couple of people in the story that do good, and then there's one of them he calls a wicked servant. Hello. One of them who doesn't see the worth in what he's been giving. And with us, it's, we have other issues, and it's that we think we own everything. There's another guy. He thought that he was just this amazing owner. He was a rich dude, right? And the Bible says this. It says that he decided, you know what? He said, I'm going to build bigger barns. That's what he said. I'm going to build bigger barns so I can store all my stuff, and then I'm going to be happy and die. And you know what the Lord said to him? He said, you fool. Your life is going to be required of you tonight. Because he didn't understand that he wasn't an owner of, of anything. He was a steward over everything. And so when we understand that, we begin to treat things differently because we realize that we are going to give an account to the God that, that has given us all this stuff. And so the first thing is this, that we must understand that we are only stewards, not owners. And as such, all that we are, are investing is what has been entrusted to us. That is our time, our talent, and our treasure. I want you to look at this scripture because I hope that this scripture just really humbles you as it humbled me when I read it. And it's right there, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And we'll look at it together. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And this is toward the end of David's um, life on this earth. And as he is um, preparing for his son Solomon to take over, he is communicating some things. And I just want you to see some key things that he says between verses 10 and verse 16. So 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through verse 16. When you got it, say so. All right, I got one so, so that means I'm waiting for the rest of you. Amen. Glory to God. So 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10 through 16. When you got it, say so. All right. Either you got it or you're lying. But anyway, we're going to read. Amen. Amen. Glory to his name. Did he just call me a liar? I was joking. Just take a joke. Lighten up. Amen. First Chronicles 10, I mean 29 verse 10. It says, therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, 
Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Whose is it? His. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Did you hear what he just said? He just said, anything that I gave you, you gave to me. He's, he's acknowledging that I didn't, get, I, I, didn't, I didn't get this myself and just make it and I'm giving you. He said, I'm simply giving back to you the things that you have given me. He says in verse 15, he says, For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. Listen, I don't know if, you, I don't know if that's clear enough, but do we own anything? No, 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 no matter how hard we work, because I know that we get really excited, you know, we work hard and we earn something, but do you realize that you had the grace of God that enabled you to earn anything? You realize that it was God's grace that gave you the ability to work hard. It was God's grace that gave you the ability to get up. I remember my brother Norbert, he used to say, I thank God because he breathed into me this morning. I, I, I just love that concept. And I'm not saying that God walks up to all of his children and is like, get up. I'm not saying that. Okay, but I, I like the idea that is in his mindset because the reality is that while God is not necessarily standing over you, breathing over you, he's allowing the breath to enter into your lungs, amen? He's allowing you the strength to breathe in and breathe out. He's allowing you not to have to be on a respirator somewhere. I'm just saying, he's allowing you to be able to do this. It is his grace. It is him that opens the door for us wherever we are working. It is him that promotes us. It is him who does all of those things. And so it is wise of us to be those kind of people that recognize from the beginning, listen, God is not asking me to invest anything that he has not already given me. God is not asking me for something that is mine. He is simply saying, be faithful with what is his. That's what he says to us as his stewards. And so the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our time spent should reflect an investment in the cross. Our time spent should reflect an investment in the cross. And so there's three things that we are able to invest while we are here on this earth. One of them is time. The other one is our talent. And the other one is our treasure. And today we will deal with time and we will deal with talent. And then the next time that I deal with this, this particular I, which won't be next week because next week's Mother's Day, but the, follow, the following week, I believe, or the week after that, I'll be dealing with the I. And when we deal with that I, we'll deal with the last one, which is the treasure. And the reason is because there's a lot to talk about when we talk about money, someone's Say amen. And I want to make sure that I give you, and y'all show up. Don't be not coming. Like, Bishop, we ain't coming. You're going to talk about money. Listen, we need to hear the truth of God's word, all right? I promise you. Listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. I want to make this real clear. When I talk about money, number one, I'm going to offend some people. Someone say amen. amen. But the best thing I'm going to do is I am going to equip some people. Say amen. And the greatest thing that I think that's going to happen is some of you are going to be set free like you ain't ever been set free to give for the glory of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
And so be encouraged, okay? Just come up in here with an open heart and let the Holy Spirit deal with your life. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. I know y'all love to hear me talk about money, but today we're going to talk about time and we're going to talk about talent. And so I ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 so we can get some context here and we can see how our time should be used while we're here on this earth and how should it reflect in in, in, um, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 and verse 16. And in this particular chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians, you have some headings there. The Apostle Paul is telling the people to walk in love, telling them to walk in light, and now he's telling them to walk in wisdom. And what he says here in in, in Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16, when you got it, say so. It says this, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Say, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And turn, and, and turn to another place really quick. First, First Peter is a couple of books over. First Peter chapter 1. And I want you to see what, he tell, what the apostle Peter says. So you have two witnesses in the New Testament dealing with this topic of time. First Peter chapter 1. And we'll read from verse 17 to verse 19. When you got to say so. All right, hallelujah. So it says here in verse 17, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, it says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's works, conduct yourselves throughout, your, throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So pause for a moment because you might read over that. But he says this. I, I want to read that verse again. And if you call on the Father, what he is saying is, if you call yourself a Christian... If you call yourself a believer, okay, so if you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but think about this. If you say, yes, I would call myself a Christian. If you say, yes, I call myself a believer, then this is applying to your life. And so he's saying, he says, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's works. And so what does that mean? That means that every one of us is going to be judged for our works. Somebody say amen to that. This is, this, this is something that should really stir our hearts. He says this, if you call on the Father, in other words, you have some kind of faith, he's letting you know what the Father is going to do. And then he says what we should do. He says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Conduct yourself throughout your time here in fear. In other words, don't just live your life frivolously. Don't just live your life. Don't just waste your time. But make sure you live with reverence, with recognition that you will stand before the judgment seat of our God. And he will either reward you or you will be stripped of any kind of rewards. And if you don't know him, then you will be separated not just from him, but you will be separated from him, sent to an eternity of hell, separated from God. This is what he's saying. He's saying, live here in fear. He continues on. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We've been redeemed for what? 
He says here, he, tell, he tells you two things. He says, you used to live in a way of conduct that was frivolous, that was ungodly. He says, you used to live like that, but you were redeemed by what Jesus did to do what? To conduct yourself in fear and in reverence. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us not to walk what? You know, not, not to walk un, un, unwisely, but to walk circumspectly. He tells us to redeem the time. And when you look up the scripture and you look up that word, what, what, what he's saying there is that we should redeem. And that word literally means to make the best of. And what I love is the word redemption there because what he's communicating is he's saying, that for us to live our time on this earth in a way that is reflective that we have been redeemed. To live our lives on this earth in a way that shows that I have really been saved from my sin. In other words, I shouldn't be living a life saying I love Jesus, but my life says something else. I shouldn't be living and spending my time or wasting my time doing things that don't bring glory and honor to God, doing things that only benefit me and never benefit others. And so the question for us is to think about this, is that how do I spend my time? Now, when we think about time, right, uh, we, we, we need to be real practical about this. And so the question for us is how much of my day, of my week, of my month, of my year, or even of my vacation is spent with redemption in mind? Think about that for a moment. How much of your day, how much of your week, how much of your month, how much of your year, how much of your vacation time is spent with redemption in mind? How much of your time do you really spend with Jesus? How much of your time do you really, and when I say spend with Jesus, I'm not just talking about, because here's what we have a tendency to do for us as Christians. Some of us, you know, we, we were raised up and we were taught, you know, we've been in church for a while, and so we know that we should have a separated time with God, right? And, you know, some of us, we believe in the tithing principle, and so we say, you know what, we should spend, you know, at least two hours a day with the Lord. Some of you are like, wait, that's a lot. But hold, I'm just saying, for some of us, we're like, well, that's, that, that's what we should do. Okay, so here's the thing. What happens outside of those two hours? Do you still walk with Jesus? Do you still walk redemption with redemption in mind? Or do you check off your list like, okay, well, I spent time with Jesus, so now I'm good. Whether it's two hours, whether it's two minutes, I'm, I'm just saying. You know, because in our men's meeting, we talk about, you know, starting with baby steps, right? And so we're like, hey, man, you know, spend five minutes a day with the Lord. That five minutes will turn to 10, 10 will turn to 15. Before you know it, you won't have enough time to be with the Lord. And I'm all good with all of that stuff. But my point is, do you just check off your list and say, well, I spent time with the Lord, so that was all I had to do. The rest of my day is mine. That's the way many of us deal with all areas of our life. We deal that way with our time. We deal that way with our money. You know, in, in, in premarital counseling, you know, one of the questions that they ask is, what's wrong, with this what's wrong with this quote? They actually tell you, critique this quote. I'll give 10% of my money to the church, and then 90% I do whatever I want with it. So the issue is that it's not about the 10% or the 90%. It's about the 100%. Because all of it is his. It's not mine in the first place. And so dealing with the time of our lives, thinking about how much time do I spend. So let's kind of break this down a little bit. So here's the first question here. How much time am I, and this is you asking yourself this. I'm asking you this, but you ask yourself this. How much time am I investing in personal growth and grace? How much time daily, weekly, monthly do I spend in personal growth and grace? So think about this. How much time do you spend in prayer daily? You do have a prayer time daily, right? Amen? Amen. Glory to God. That's on your checklist now, right? Get a prayer time daily. Hallelujah. We should daily spend time with Jesus, don't you think? I'm just saying we should daily spend time. We should have a set time, a separated time that we spend with Jesus. Does that mean that we are going to be perfect in our set time with him? 
Doesn't mean that we may not miss a day or whatever the case may be or that the time may not be as long or we may not feel like we were as fruitful. But the question is, do you have that time that you spend with him? What does that time look like in your life? Okay, so how much time do I spend in prayer? That's one way that I grow in grace. How much time do I spend fasting? Hallelujah, fasting, glory to God. Some of y'all are like, fasting, what is that? Like, Christians are supposed to fast? You don't have to fast. The Bible never says you have to fast. Amen, somebody? It never says that. But it shows it as a discipline. It shows it as something that is utilized to do what? To humble yourself before God, to be broken before God, to really surrender, to really get yourself away from all distractions so you can do what? So you can really get in with God and and experience time with him. Okay, so fasting, you know, maybe sometimes. But how much time do you spend fasting? I mean, when we call fast, do you even fast all the way or do you just fake it? What I mean by fake is you raise your hand, you signed up, and then you miss like one meal, and you're like, oh, man, I can't do no more. I'm just saying. I mean, some people can't even handle one day without food. They're going to die. You are not going to die. I promise you. Amen, somebody. Now, if you're on medication, do not do that, okay? I'm just, I just want to say that as a disclaimer because I don't want anyone dying and be like, Bishop, they tried to have faith in you and they died. Listen, if you're on medication, you need to talk to your doctor. But for the rest of us that are not on medication, you are not going to die from one day without food. I'm just saying. It's not going to happen. So fasting is a good thing. But also, what about Scripture? How much time do you spend studying? Say studying. The Scriptures. How much time do you spend studying the Scriptures? Daily. Daily. You have a daily time that you are in there with Jesus that he's speaking in your life. I want you to understand this, please, and, 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 I, and I don't want to offend anybody's um, way that they go through the Bible, but the Bible doesn't say anywhere to read it. It says to meditate on it, and it says to study it. That's what it says. Meditate on it and study it. It doesn't say read it. In other words, God never wants us to just be casual readers of his word. His word is too rich for us to just casually read it. He doesn't want us to just check off our list. He wants our lives to be changed as we're in this word. So daily, how much time are you spending in that? Here, I have another one as a way that you grow in grace. We have an amazing mentoring program, at least that's my opinion. And you know what? The question is, do you spend time doing that? That's a way to grow in grace. You plugged into the mentoring program. If not, Pastor Robert's right here. We can help you get some good foundation to help you learn how to evangelize. We can help you know what your gifts are, what they're not. Hallelujah. We want both. Amen. We don't want people being like, I'm gifted. No, you're not. No, that is not your gift. That is not where you should be serving at all. Glory to God. Right? No, no, no. We love you, though. We love you, and we appreciate you, but just not there. We would appreciate you somewhere else. But here's the thing. Get into, that, get, get into the mentoring program. That helps you grow in grace, right? That helps you grow in the revelation of who God is. All right, so we have our personal growth, right? And so most of us, most of us as Christians, right, we know that we need to grow personally in grace. Amen? We need to grow per- you need to grow personally. And we, and we want to grow personally. But what about collective growth in grace? Because Christianity is not just about you. As a matter of fact, we sing a song. It's not about us. Amen? And so in the bigger picture of things, it's not just about you. Jesus loves you. Amen. He cares for you. Amen. He, he wants relationship with you. Yes, he does. But he doesn't want you to just be happy growing in grace all by yourself on your grace island. Right? 
like a little grace island where I got my prayer time, I got my word time, got my little coffee up in there. We with Jesus. And on my fasting days, I get rid of the coffee, and I'm just growing. I'm, I go to the mentoring program. I got the notes. I mean, I'm just grace island all day. Hello. Right? But God wants us to grow in relationship, like build some bridges to your island. Hello. I'm just saying, invite some people. Get, 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 get from your island into their island because, you know, everybody's got their own islands, you know. I'm just saying. Just get, get in relationship. This is what the Bible teaches. So my question is, what about collective grace? How much time of your week, of your month, of your day, of your year do you spend in church? How much time do you spend, and when I say in church, coming together on Sundays, how much of your time do you spend, and not just coming together, but really worshiping and honoring God? How much time do you spend going to connect? Are you in a connect group? Are you in some level of small groups? I'm just saying, are you part of that? Because if you're not, then you're not investing in the kingdom and the way that you can grow in grace. What about one-on-one discipleship? And that can be you being discipled one-on-one or you discipling someone else. What about those things? What about participating in the men's and women's Bible studies and fellowship? And not just the ones of faith, them of fellowship. I've told you guys about the Tuesday morning Bible study. That's a men's Bible study from 7 to 8 a.m. Well, that, that's for the men here. I know Minister Marisol, she has, you know, all kind of stuff for you ladies to do. I'm getting bombarded all the time with emails. Y'all are doing so much. I'm just saying, right? I'm, like, overwhelmed. I'm, like, women's ministry, another email, glory to God. She's doing good. Give her a hand. Amen, amen. She's communicating. She's letting y'all know what's up. But here's the thing. We, we, we have opportunities to collectively grow in grace. And so the question is, how much time are you investing in those things? And then the last thing that I'll ask you this is, it, how, how, how much time do you spend extending grace? So the first one is, how much time do you spend personally growing in grace? The second one is, how much time do you invest in collective growing in grace? And how much time do you spend in extending grace unto other people? So how do you do that? Well, one of the ways that I see that you extend grace, you see, we had our worship team up here today. Our children's ministry of workers and teachers are over there teaching your children. For those of you that have children, we have nursery workers over there that are watching your children. That's why it's so quiet in here right now. Right? Because, you know, babies are loud, and, and, I mean, I'm cool with babies being loud. I just, I, you know, I just talk, try to get louder. I'm, it, I'm, I'm a little louder than babies sometimes. Um, but ultimately, you know, everybody that you see, what are they doing? They're extending grace. They're serving in some capacity. So that's one way that you extend grace. Well, how about this? How about serving in the community? In different areas where you can serve. I thank God for the Saturday morning connect. My mother-in-law, and I know this because my mother-in-law asked us to sign up for her to do some training so they can volunteer and hope and they can be part of something that is going on in the community. So I'm asking you these questions. How much time are you spending investing in that? How about this? How about how much time are you spending personally sharing the gospel? Think about this. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? I didn't say when was the last time you mentioned God in a conversation. There's a difference. Because some of us think that, well, I mentioned God, so we feel really good because, oh, my goodness, I got God in there. Hold on a second. (laughs) Mentioning God in a conversation is not sharing the gospel. It took a lot more than someone saying the name of God for me to be saved. I'm just saying. I had to understand my need for him. So the question is, how much time? I I have a really big one for you all. How many, I mean, how many of you have, and I don't want you to raise your hand, just think about this. How many of you have ever even been on a missions trip somewhere? I know we don't talk about missions a lot here. We're going to go on a missions trip next year, so all of you are invited. Amen? I'm just saying. We're going to go and we're going to see. I'm going to go preach in Spanish. Y'all know y'all want to see that. 
Like, Bishop, we're going to go see. We're going on a mission trip just to see you preaching Spanish, glory to God. That's going to be a miracle. Y'all want to see a miracle? Come on. I'm just letting you know. That will be a miracle, glory to Jesus. But, but, but ultimately, ultimately, how much time do you spend? You see, you think about mission trip. You know what we think about? Can I tell you something? This is going to offend some of you, and I love you, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to offend you in love. Some of us, when we think about our time off, you know what we think about? Time off. That's it. You get two weeks off in the year, three weeks off in the year, and you got, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to say what you do because I don't want anyone to think I'm talking about you. I'm talking about everybody, amen. I'm talking about everybody in the room. None of us are thinking, man, I'm going to take this week off this year so I can go on a missions trip. I'm going to take this week off this year so that way I can go and do something to serve someone else. Nobody thinks that way. Call somebody when they're on vacation. You'll see how holy they are. You're going to find out how they are real quick. They're, they're, they're on a staycation. They are right up in their house. And you ask them to come help you with something. Oh, no, I'm on vacation. What you mean you're on vacation? You should be rested up, ready to come up in here and glorify Jesus. Nah, man. And I'm, hey, listen, and I'm looking in the mirror. If I had a mirror, I'd be looking at me. I'm telling you, I, am, I, need, I need some holiness on vacation time. Because I'm not, I'm just, can I confess my sin? Because y'all think I'm just pointing at you. I'm talking to myself as well. Be like, yo, Bishop, can you do that? I'm like, let me see. Bro, I'm on vacation that week. I don't think I can do it. I don't know where I'm going to be exactly. I'm gonna, I know exactly where I'm going to be on my couch doing nothing. Because I'm not doing anything on vacation. But the point is, how much time, I mean, when we think about our time, it's important for us to ask these questions. Why? Because here's the thing. You and I cannot measure how we spend our time and say, yes, my time reflects an investment in the cross if our time is minimally invested in kingdom endeavors. Are you cross-invested? Are you investing your time in kingdom endeavors? Like seriously, you have a prayer time? Okay, great. How long is it? I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour. Okay, praise God. You're in the word for 30 minutes. Okay, great. How many people are you sharing the gospel with? I mean, think about it. I want you to just think about this for a moment. How much time do you spend doing other things? Now, I'm not talking about work, okay? Work is part of our day, and, and what I'm saying is that that is usually typically going to take the biggest chunk of our day just because we work 8 to 10 hours a day. That's just reality, right? And so we, I'm not asking you to work any less. Obviously, if you can, then you should do that. It would help you with your quality of life in general. But the point is, if you are working those hours, that's fine. But outside of those hours, because some people, they don't have time for anything, but they have three hours to watch TV. Oh, I'm busy. You're busy with what? You're busy with your DVR? I'm just saying. Some of us don't. Listen, I, 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 can't, I can't confess this sin this season because I'm not watching the playoffs. But in seasons past, amen, in seasons past, I would find myself, and I thought I was holy because I would DVR most of it and fast forward through all the commercials, right? So I was holy because I was cutting off time, glory to God. But I, and then some games, you know, because all the West Coast games, what time do those games start? Nine o'clock at night, right? And you want to see your favorite team on the West Coast, and so you're up until like two o'clock in the morning, but you ain't got time for Jesus, Jesus wake you up at 2 o'clock and you're like, man, Lord, I can't sleep. Can you let me go to sleep? Right? I'm just saying. 
Now, y'all, y'all, we, 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 we've all probably broken night for stuff that was fun or that mattered to us or even things that weren't fun, like taking our child. You know, Lewis was in the hospital with his daughter, and so I asked you to keep her in prayer. So all of us have broken night, but how many of us have broken night for prayer? Listen, we can't even have all-night lock-ins up in the church. You know why? Because at 12 o'clock, y'all expire. Some of y'all, some of y'all was up in the clubs till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. You leave, you closing the club down, going to Denny's. I'm just saying. But it's time for prayer. You come up in church at 9 o'clock. By midnight, you're like, oh, glory to God. Ain't nobody praying. We start off on fire for Jesus. Like, Father God, we love you. We adore you. By 1130, it's like, amen, hallelujah. Father, you're so holy. Thank you for blessing us with your presence, God. And then, you know, we're ready to go home. Listen. We all make these declarations. I want to see the glory of the Lord. No, you don't. I want to see the power of God. Really? Really? Come on, just be real with yourself. I mean, just write it down. Just, you know, do like they tell people about budgeting. Just write down what you do every hour of your day for the, la- for the next month. Don't change your schedule either to be holy. <laughs> like for the next month, you ain't watching no TV. For the next month, you're not doing anything extracurricular. Nah, just do what you would normally do for the next month. Write it all down. Let me see it. I want to tell you how holy you are. Amen. I'm saying, I'll write mine down for you. I'll trade, I'll trade notes if you want to trade notes. I'm serious. And let's see how holy we are. Let's see how righteous we are. Let's see how much of our time we're investing in the kingdom. The second thing that I will ask you to repeat after me is to say, our talents used should reflect an investment in the cross. The first thing is our time. Our time, the way that we spend our time should reflect an investment in the cross. The second thing is our talents. Our talents used should reflect an investment in the cross. I'm going to run through these scriptures real quick with you. And then after that, I'll give you a couple of words and then we're going to close in prayer. But look at the book of Romans chapter 12 really quickly. The book of Romans chapter 12, and we'll start reading in verse 3. When you got it, say so. Romans 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. When you got to say so, it says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So according to Romans, we should be using our gifts for the glory of Jesus. Amen? Look over the next book, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at that together. We'll start reading in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1, 1 Corinthians. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. 
You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all so again who is who are these gifts for they are for the profit of all these gifts that God gives are for the purpose of us being blessed he says for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to one to one to to each one individually as he wills he goes on to say for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is, therefore, is, it, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing... If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And so there's some people in here, and, and if we keep reading here, there's some people in here that believe, you know what, I don't have anything to offer. And that's what Paul is saying, that's not true. There's some people that think, well, I'm not this or I'm not that. That doesn't mean that you don't have something to offer, something to contribute to the body of Christ. And then there's other people that look at, you know, look at other folks and be like, man, you don't have anything to offer. And that's not true. Don't let them lie to you. Hello. Right. But each of us has been given something. And let's close it up with this. First Peter chapter four and verse 10. First Peter chapter four and verse 10. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, and it says this. It says, as each one has received a gift, ministering it to, minister it to one another as good stewards. Say good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Remember what I said that we were? We needed to understand that we are stewards. We are simply managers. We are those who have been entrusted with things. We've been entrusted with time. We've been entrusted with gifts or with talents. He says this in verse 11. He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with, all, with, with, with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so again, we ask the question about how we spend our time. So the next question is, am I using the gifts that God has given me to bring glory to his name? Am I using the gifts? Am I using, and these specific, now let's be real clear, these specific three chapters that we looked at, these are all dealing with spiritual gifts. They're all talking about supernatural gifts that God gives us. But here's what we need to understand. It is that God doesn't just give us supernatural gifts. He gives us natural talents as well. 
In the same way that we are called to utilize our spiritual gifts in order to bring edification to the body, we should also be using our natural talents to do what? To bring glorification to God, to bring edification to the body through the ways that God has entrusted us with. I was teaching in a church the other night, and I was talking about um, church leadership. And as I was teaching in this church, I was talking about bringing glory to God. And I gave the example of some of the people who get up, you know, some entertainers who get up to get, you know, awards. And the first thing out of their mouth is, I want to give glory to God. And I'm like, when? When? When did you want to give glory to God? Was it when you were half naked? Was it through the words that you were utilizing? How about the lifestyle you were living throughout all of this where you've been all over the tabloids? At what point did you want to give glory to God? Oh, you wanted to recognize him up here as though that's a check, God, I give you glory. No, you don't. You see, the overarching of everything that we have, of everything that God has given us, is to do what? Is to bring glory and to bring honor unto his name. It is to magnify him. It is to exalt him. For what? It is because we have, according to 1 Peter, 1 Peter tells us that we are a peculiar people, right? We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We have been called out of darkness to do what? To proclaim the praises of our God. And so that means in everything that I do, I should be proclaiming praises unto my God. I should be utilizing the talents, the gifts that God has given me. And one of the clearest things that, I, that, that we need to understand is that any time that we are elevated, that we're promoted, I love it. Brother Sean asked for prayer this morning. He was sharing in our, in our connect group, you know, I, one of the preachings that I did, I was talking about hating on people because they're getting promoted or whatever the case was. And he was dealing with a certain situation in his heart. And I'm only telling you this because he communicated this to us. He was dealing with a certain situation in his heart where he was seeing people that he didn't think deserved to be promoted, getting promoted. You ever seen someone like that? I'm just saying we all do. And then, and then the hater in us comes out. I'm just saying it comes out in all of us. I mean, just be real. When you see someone who's working half as hard as you getting promoted to places you should be, I'm just saying you'd be just mad. I'm, I, I would be, I'm mad, right? I'm upset. And so he's experiencing that. He's frustrated. He's like, man, I'm putting in the work. And, you know, he went and talked to supervisor. And anyway, you know, God, you know, elevated him to a position, gave him a promotion. And you know what he says? He prays and he's like, God, you know, he asked us to pray for him, that God would continue to use him. Why? Because he realized something. Every time, and you got to get this, every time that God promotes you, every time that God opens a door for you, it is simply another platform for his gospel to be revealed and for his glory to be manifested. That is why God promotes. That is why God elevates. He doesn't elevate you so you can just, you know, experience all of this greatness and grandeur and get all of these pats on the back. Listen, when people start saying stuff to you and you start hearing yourself say thank you more than you're saying glory to God, you need to check your heart. You need to recognize who is the one. I don't care who it is. If they're saying thank you to you, they're waiting for your response. And what you should say is say thank you very much, but all the glory goes to God. So you don't have to insult them and be like, you can, you can be honest and you can be modest and you can communicate. But make sure that God gets all the glory, that you're not the one that's being glorified. I love when we were watching the, 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 the Super Bowl this year and we watched the interview that was done um, for some of the Seattle Seahawks guys, some of the coaches and some of the players. And Mark Driscoll did the interview. And in the interview, he asked, you know, he was talking to one of the coaches. And I love what one of the coaches said, man. This dude had me crying. He was like, look, man, he's one of the coaches that helps all these guys, you know, get up into their position. And he said, and, I, and I'll, I'll probably misquote him, you know, but it's not perfect. But what he said basically was, he says, man, be awesome for God. Help other people be awesome and give him all the glory. 
That's what, that, that's what being a Christian is about. It is about you being the best that you can be for the glory of Jesus. It's not about you being better than your neighbor. It's not about outdoing someone else because you know what? You will never, I mean, in reality, if you compare you and someone else, you two are two totally different people who are gifted and equipped in different ways. And so I should not be trying to compare myself to him or her or them, but I should be doing what? Looking into the gospel of truth, looking into the mirror of God's word. I should recognize who I am in Christ I should be the best version of me that I can be by the grace of God and do whatever it is that I'm called to do and help other people become who they're supposed to be that's what it means to be a person who is investing my talents in the kingdom and the work of the glory of God it's important for us to consider those things because one of the greatest and clearest ways that we invest our talents is when we are investing in others It's not just about me getting a promotion. It's not about just me getting a bigger paycheck. It's not about me, me, me. It is about the glory of the king. It is about his glory. It is about his honor. And we want those around us to do what? To be able to be successful and experience the grace of God. And here's the thing. If you and I cannot truly give glory to Jesus for what we are doing with our talents, be they natural talents or spiritual gifts, God, that God has entrusted us with, then we are not investing them in kingdom purposes. And I say this in closing. If we are not cross-invested, it only reflects a poor estimation of the investment that Jesus made for us on the cross. If we're not cross-invested, and listen, we talked about time, we talked about talent, the next time I deal with the other part of the eye, we'll deal with treasure. But if we are not cross-invested, It just shows that we don't really estimate what Jesus did as great. We don't estimate it as something that is worth us giving our entire life to. And listen, I'll say this. If you don't know Jesus today, I want you to realize something. He died in your place. If you know Jesus today, I want you to be reminded of something. He died in your place. Every one of us in here is a sinner separated from God because of our sins. We violate his laws, and he comes to take our punishment, to take our place, so that way we could have a new identity, so we can have a new life. And that's what he offers anyone who will come to him and call upon his name. And so I invite the worship team to come up here really quickly, please. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads. And I'm going to pray for you and pray for us. And I want to just open the altar up. If, If someone needs prayer, I want you to come forward. If someone, if, 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 you, if you don't know Jesus today and he's not Lord of your life, he's not Savior of your life, then I'm going to encourage you to come forward as well. And I, and, and I ask you to let us pray with you. Let God do a great work in your heart. Yes. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now in Jesus' name, Lord God. And Father, we bow before your presence, Lord God, and we recognize, Heavenly Father, that you are the King, Lord God. You are the great, great, great I am, God. And Lord God, we humble ourselves before you today, my God. We humble our hearts in your presence today, my God. And Father, I just lift up my brothers and my sisters in this place, and I pray that we would be a people, Lord God, who are kingdom-invested, my God, who are cross-invested. I pray that you would reveal to us where we have not invested our time rightly, my God. Give us repentant hearts today, my God. 
Father, reveal to us, Lord God, where we have not invested our talents correctly, my God. Father, show us, my God, where it is that we should be investing, how we should be investing these things, Lord God. Let us not walk around pridefully, my God, not recognizing the great investment that you made in us, my God. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you grant us hearts of repentance, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. The altar's open.